Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future, you can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Lefty, Vanilla Ace, Tim from the Utah Saints, and so many more. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify, and now including this very episode on YouTube for the full video experience. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house or visit youtube.com forward slash DJ Felix Leiter. And don't forget to subscribe. In this episode, I talk to Nathan C about his career in music so far, and I stress so far. Nathan is destined for huge success in the future, I'm sure, and he's had some phenomenal success already. Have you ever heard of Peace of My Heart by Medusa? Want the inside story? Keep listening. Want to know what it's like to be resident DJ at Ministry of Sound? Keep listening. You want to know what it's like to be a Grammy-nominated top 40 artist? Keep listening listening he's a great lad one of the industry's real nice guys so let's get into it felix lighters in the house the podcast about djs what they do and who they are nathan c welcome to the show Hello, mate. Thanks for having me. No, no, it's I've been. Uh, you've been at the top or very near my list for ages, and I've finally managed to track a few people down who have evaded me. But you made me laugh, man. I just, uh, I just texted you there saying like, "Are you ready?" And I don't know if he's joking or not, but he texts back saying, "I'm just doing my makeup." But I've literally just applied some concealer. <laughs> mate, I had like, mate, I had like a a photo like session yesterday with my mate Ben. Um, shout out yeah. to Beluga Media, and like, mate, it was scheduled for Saturday, right? And I had the biggest spot on my head, so I like, I said, "Oh, oh mate, can we move it till Sunday?" And then like this other one like appeared yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just put some concealer on, but you know, shouldn't give away Happens the old. To the best of us, mate. Happens shouldn't to give the away the trade secrets. But how are you, man? How are you finding? Um, so we we are talking in sort of mid October, uh, and how is life? Before we get into the nitty gritty of the podcast, how is life for you at the moment? Uh, at the moment, life is great. I'm having a great time. Um, things are going, yeah, amazing. Like um obviously lockdown for for as uh, with everyone it's it's been pretty difficult uh challenging but i mean to be honest i feel like we're kind of built for this sort of stuff being self-employed musicians and djs so in many respects not a lot has changed just sitting in darkened rooms mate listening to beats for eight hours 12 hours a day um with not a lot of social life so yeah it's uh it's cool I've missed, I've, I've missed, I'm not, I try not to go over old ground that I've covered on previous episodes, but I've obviously missed the, like the club interaction. I've missed the sort of playing music. I've missed that kind of vibe, but, um, I've, I've found it like f- more freeing really in the studio. Like, I mean, you, we'll get onto your, what you do. You're a whole nother level above, about seven levels above me, but like, I've found it weirdly more freeing in the studio um i've been productive in a way in the last six months that i don't think i've probably ever been um and, and i think that was again this is different from you although you'll probably remember this from 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 earlier in your career but i felt like when i was in a, in the clubs every saturday or even in my residency like i was making i felt like i was making looking back now i feel like i was making records for that gig like to mm-hmm. play that Saturday and I was yeah. almost rushing out a record or a bootleg or an edit or a remix that would work that coming Saturday in that gig. Um, yeah. 
and with not being at gigs and not being at in clubs it's it, yeah it's felt weirdly much more freeing to make music yeah. is, is that have you had any of that or uh yeah definitely i mean um it certainly allowed for more time and it felt like probably more towards the beginning of lockdown like there was just less pressure to get a certain amount of songs or tracks done within a week um i mean we were actually at the very beginning of um a campaign for our, our joy club single so in there was like a lot of focus on that and there was like requirements from the label of like right you got to do this got to post that got to do this bit of content so that that was there was quite a lot on that but aside from that it didn't feel like there was too much pressure because you weren't thinking about the weekend ahead and having to jump on a plane or a tour bus going to another city and preparing for that gig and then that takes away from the studio time so the the focus is purely like you say on on music and just on on making tunes which you know that's that's kind of like that's why i got into this in the first place obviously djing as well i love and and got into it at the same time and I, you know it's it's an amazing to do that but um i guess at the heart of it was always from a, a passion and love for, for music so um just to be able to focus on that 100 percent uh during this time has been been amazing what with i mean i i come back to that joint club thing or we'll talk about it again later on but something that's really really interested me throughout this whole period as a like a, a as a an artist who releases music um, mm. is the impact that that the pandemic has had on 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 people in our situation, and I specifically mean DJs or artists who are releasing music. And obviously, mm. I was aware of your Joy Club stuff, and I had that release, um, Good Times. And I've got a release coming up at the end of the month, and I've had another one. But I'm also I've also got tracks that I'm maybe thinking I'm holding back. How did you feel that that Joy Club release? was different under these times and how do you think it would have been different had it been a more um, normal summer yeah i mean we would have had the clubs for starters i mean the joy club single was was very much a, a crossover radio kind of single yeah it's from the kind of dance club world but inherently it was always you know we're aiming for kind of radio um uh, but still yeah just not having the djs and not having the clubs open to be able to you know play the the sort of you know the 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 more club mix versions for example on the sort of more underground scene um right through to the commercial djs that that would have been playing it in in the clubs there was just none of that and i think there's a there's like a an inherent connection between successful records and people going out and experiencing those records in a different environment than listening to it in the car or listening to it at home. So we didn't obviously have any of that because we released a single on March the 6th and then lockdown was like 20, 23rd of March or whenever it was. So, uh, and we had a huge video plans. There was like big budget going into it. We'd spent months before going through treatment after video treatment from all these directors. F finally got to the one that we, we were like, right, everyone's in agreement. This is the, the video we're going to shoot. And uh, yeah, literally, I think it was the week of lockdown. Everything was, was scheduled in to, to go out and shoot the video. And then yeah lockdown happened and it we literally had to scrap the whole thing <laughs> Mate. yeah i mean i think you bring up like for me like you bring up this super interesting point for me which is i'm working on something now with a, an irish singer shout to ryan um or ryan and ryan s but like we're working on something and like as everyone mate you know you know this feeling you're like oh this is the one do you know what i mean this is the one this is this is the banger but yeah but but what it's in my mind and you brought this really good point which is like 
No one really heard a record on the radio and had a, a fucking moment to it. Do you know what I mean? Like very occasionally. Like I remember the first time I heard Kaiser Hideaway was in the car and I was like, fuck, this is a, this is a fucking tune. Like, do yeah. you know what I mean? And I got like the hair stood up in the back of my neck and I was like, oh my God, like what is this? And like, I need this. But yeah. inherently you have moments in fields at festivals, on terraces in nightclubs, you know, in, in you know, in, in dark areas and dark corners and moments full of chemicals rushing through your bloodstream. And do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, ministry walking through into the box and something's pounding and you know what I mean? You touch someone's hand or you kiss someone or like, and then suddenly yeah. that record is ingrained within you as that experience, that emotional memory. Um, and that's how you break records. Like that's how, especially yeah. underground records get broken. They get broken yeah. by DJs playing them, being in Ibiza, being on a holiday, being at a festival. And then, and then they break that's to right. radio. And then suddenly when you hear that record on radio, it feels like this lot naughty little secret that you had with this record. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, so totally. I've, I've struggled with that. Like, you know, like I say again, I'm not at your level, but I've struggled with that thing of going, how do we even break a record? without people having those emotional experiences to it um I, yeah. I mean I, I mean again I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself and I will we'll come on to this later on but I'm so intrigued with this like as someone that's like at your level with stuff are you already having conversations with artists and labels about holding things back or or is the or is the thought process no if we've got a record we get it out now like where where what what have you heard or what are your thoughts on that yeah, I think I think the rules have really just like gone out the window now. It's kind of just like it's just you know sometime uh previously, you know, it was like okay, let's say for example the Joy Club record, it's like right, we're going to we wanted to release it in February and then it got pushed back a couple of weeks and then we were going into March and it was like oh, we do you know what we're the conversations were we're getting a bit late now because we're trying to catch this for the the summer. So that's how far ahead you have to plan with a lot of these things, um, because the trajectory of a record now, um, certainly in the more like pop dance sphere, is you know it's a long period of time to build that record, um, and this is probably only only in the last five years or so, because before it was like, you know, get the record out as many sales as you can get within the first week, record goes as high in the charts as possible, and then it kind of like dies down whereas the trajectory now is like complete opposite it's like right we release the record then we 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 don't we'll, we'll decide whether we get some remixes for it in like a couple of months time because we need to see how the record reacts we build we build we build you know and and, and i i prefer that way of, of working um and so anyway yeah so we were kind of we felt like we were a little bit late for the you know the summer not like super super late but it, the year was kind of cracking on um and then obviously lockdown and then in terms of like i think there was that initial thing at a lot of labels where it was like well we just don't know what's going on now but quite quickly it was kind of business as usual and it was you know they're signing records again and uh just kind of as as normal i think a lot of the major major releases like the, your big artists um a lot of those campaigns have, have been held back definitely but weirdly, I think that's why we've seen a flurry of uh, commercial house records hitting the charts over the summer, like your Joel Corey's, Nathan Dorr, um, because those major releases that they were competing with, really? you know, your Justin Bieber's, your Ariana Grande, suddenly there's no, there's a gap in the schedule. So, and you know, there were great uh, commercial sort of good, great songs over 
house dance beats. So, um, yeah, I think just all the rules are out the window, basically, in, in answer to your question. And I think it's just like, yeah, get the record out and, and see what happens. Because we don't really know what's around the corner. We could be in, into another lockdown before the end of the year. Um, but, you know, actually, music's kind of a little bit pandemic proof in the sense that Spotify numbers were hugely up that those first few weeks into lockdown and probably still are like year on year. I think it was, I think I read the other day, it was like maybe 22% Spotify numbers were, were up year on year. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge jump. Um, and that's, that's down to kind of people listening and experiencing music in a, in a different way. I in their homes or in their cars. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I think so. Let's, let's go, um, let's go back and hit up the kind of structure of this podcast. So I want to take you, way back before DJing, way back before producing, way back kind of until, you know, early years, probably even pre-10 or something. And I just mm -hmm. want to find out where the f the first early musical influences come from. Like, is it parents? Is it siblings? Is it, is, has someone got a record collection? Is it in the car? Like, just what are you listening to? What's been, more importantly, what's being played to you by, you know, mm -hmm. family and friends? What are those early influences? Um, early influences. So, um, I mean, I remember specifically asking my parents, uh, for piano lessons when I was about five, five years old. So there was obviously something in me, maybe inherently that was like musically interested. Um, so yeah, I took up, uh, you know, learning the piano at quite a young age. I remember, you know, in the house, my mum was playing like Elton John cassette tapes and she likes uh, she likes Motown and all the old soul stuff so yeah some of that and yeah so that's kind of probably were your parents like very... instrumental were they were they were they like did so like you know was there a piano in the house was, was did anyone play an instrument or did it just come into you in the family yeah there was a piano in the house um parents not like massively musical my dad played guitar years ago um I think there's quite a bit of um like we've got a few musicians in the sort of wider family so i think there's some kind of like musical genes um in there but um yeah i wouldn't say like my parents were you know my mum wasn't like playing piano all the time in the background kind of thing it was um she did have a violin actually she played the violin a little bit not particularly well but <laughs> and if you can you remember um the first it's different now, but you know, we're of a similar age and like, can you remember the first bit of music that was yours, like that you held, that you owned, like it was either bought for you or you bought yourself. But can you remember that first bit of physical music that was kind of, that you felt like it was yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, probably now 34 CD. <laughs> I like that. Is that the actual specific number? Like, I like that you remember <laughs> that number. Yeah, it's the, it was the, um, the yellow one with like the kind of yellow so, and orange. So and hit like me with some of, and I can Google this if you like, but hit me with some of the bangers that might have been on uh, oh, now 34. Mate. Oh, there was some, um, <laughs> I'm Googling it now, but see if you can see if was, you can hit any. It was Gina G, who are just a little bit. Oh, what a like, tune. Um, uh, what else is there? There was some good, like, dancey ones as well i remember Mate, do, you me, do you want me to hit you with some of the some of the highlights on there yeah, yeah, and it yeah. is yellow by the way well done um we're, we're rocking freedom by robbie williams we've yeah. got we've got mysterious girl by peter andre now they're obviously the bangers at the top right they're the bangers at the top but when we go a little bit further born slippy at number seven underworld 
Um, Classic. A record that I've just sampled, um, JX, There's Nothing I Won't Do. Um, you, you, you bang on with you uh, just a little bit, Gina G. You've got Don't Stop Moving, Live in Joy. Um, <laughs> mate, there's some Jazz It Up, Real to Real, controversial. Um, yeah. Wink, Wink, Higher State of Consciousness, Robert Miles, Children. Um, yeah, man, there's some real, some, like in surreal... terms of like classic dance, yeah, like, club records <laughs> like that, like there's some like amazing ones, yeah. Well, that's a good memory, man. Um, so you had that on like, was that to be like, was that to be a double CD or would that have been like a double tape? Yeah, double CD. Um, got it for Christmas, I can't remember what year, but I remember getting a hi fi, my first hi fi that year. Um, uh, it was like an Iowa and it had like a three CD changer thing, cassette tapes. Oh, it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty sweet. So obviously you're taking piano lessons. Um, mm. Where does the kind of, where does the crossover, um, like, do you start being in bands before you start kind of wanting to, or even being aware of being a DJ or is the DJ thing sneaking in or yeah. Where, where does that crossover take place or does it, or is it a long way down the line? Um, yeah, so I was, so piano was probably like five years old till I was about 10 or 11, then kind of just got fed up with the practicing. Okay. Um, and then I remember like, I remember being at church with my parents and they had like a, a guy playing drums and I was just like, I want to be, I want to learn to play the drums. I want to be a drummer. That looks like fun. So I was like, Oh, can I have some drum lessons? And, and then, so my parents reluctantly were like, Oh, Okay. Right, we'll we'll, we'll uh, let you have some drum lessons. They let me uh, buy a drum kit actually as well when I was about uh, twelve, thirteen. So uh, I think they regretted that. But um, <laughs> then, uh, did you join around... any bands? Then did you join any? Did you join any bands? Start any bands? Or not really? No, it was just me kind of like playing in my room and. Um... Okay. And did you find the rhythm of drums more interesting than the me- the melody of piano? I think so because like at that age you're just like you're hyped up and you've got loads of energy and drums are just great fun just smacking a few uh few things around so um but then like I was I, I really liked um as I was getting to sort of 13 14 15 like the sound of like UK Garage and Two Step was kind of coming in and I was hearing that you know at school and starting to come on the radio a little bit and um that was when I first I think I made mine had like a pair of decks and um I just remember going around to his house and I was like like what are these like what are you doing and then I was just like really intrigued as to like you know how it kind of worked and then from from then um uh, yeah I just got really interested in um in in DJing and was always quite inquisitive about it um but it wasn't was that, until was that um, the first time you ever kind of because one of the questions I like asking is when you which it seems a weird question now because we're all so aware of it but when was the first time that you even became aware that someone was a DJ? Was it that when your mate had decks or were you already kind of aware that someone on the radio was a DJ? Were you kind of, had you been to an under eight, you know, like had you been to a party when there'd been a DJ? When was the first time that for some reason in your mind, this, you know, cognitated that that person is a DJ and that's what they're doing is playing music to people. Yeah, I suppose the first time would have been, I went to an under 18s rave uh, with DJ Luck and MC Neat. Um, and that was probably the first experience of like a club environment, a DJ actually playing music live to a to an audience. Um, and so and, and, and 
I mean, yeah, obviously been to like school discos at like a younger age, but like being more aware of it in like your teens where it's like, okay, this is someone, someone's actually getting paid to do this for a living. And then the, like the cogs kind of turning in your, in your mind is like, ah, oh, maybe I could be a DJ is that sort of thing. And then I kind of, I guess around that time was like, oh, I'll go out and like buy a D like DJs obviously have magazines that they read. So there must be something like related to that. So I went out and bought DJ mag, for example. And then it was like, Oh, this is really interesting. And, um, but it wasn't until, a, uh, my parents moved, um, back to Jersey, which is where my mom's originally from. So we all, me and my family all moved over there when I was about 15. And it was at that point that I managed to get a work experience job at a local recording studio in Jersey. And it was this hive of like seven or eight studios, um, guys making like progressive house, guys making drum and bass. Um, and I was just like blown away, like by this, um, by the three weeks that I had spent there and they said look we'll teach you how to make music and we'll teach you how to dj and i was like this is incredible so literally um yeah they taught me how to dj there was like a room full of vinyl a pair of 1210s and um yeah that was that was where i first kind of like touched a pair of decks and and kind of caught the bug really and so how long did you how long because i mean i've been in jersey on holiday it's not a, a huge place but it's a lovely place how mm. long were you there how long did you go up there and is, and is that where you really first started to buy records was there a record shop on jersey or was it a hmv or like yeah because it's not it's not a bustling cosmopolitan you know it's not london it's not manchester no but there was definitely a scene okay. um and uh yes you know still really good mates with a lot of the guys over there um there was there was a record store run by a guy called mal um and he i bought some records from him i can't remember what it was i think it was called like cd johns or something like that um and yeah that was like the place where <laughs> that all makes the, all it the sound D- really funny cd johns <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you mean CD Johns, but it sounds... <laughs> Not CD, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, that was like the place where all the DJs bought their their records and um, I started buying buying records from there, basically. And um, Is this pre yeah. you, like, club age? Is this, like, is this pre-18? Is this pre-17, 16? Or are you, are you yeah, starting to go to like, clubs and see people DJ now or...? Yeah, I mean, I got into a couple of raves. I mean, I remember going to see Goldie once in on the island, but I was wow. definitely like underage. Um, and yeah, so I was probably around that time, like 16. Yeah, 15, 16. Um, yeah, and then lived in Jersey till I was about 18, 19, and then came out back to the UK to do uni. So what were those what were those club experiences like in I also love the fact that you call it like on the island like I love that is that what is that what other locals call it are they like yeah on the <laughs> island like I love that but yeah what was club scene like like what was can you remember like the first I mean even tell us about that Goldie gig what was some of those first club experiences that you had on Jersey Yeah um I mean I was really I just wasn't really into house music then I was into um it sort of gone from the UK garage kind of side to uh, drum and bass I was just like blown away by drum and bass um so they used to get some quite good guests coming over um yeah obviously Goldie um being one of them um so yeah just like experiencing music like that on a club system for the first time was just pretty pretty amazing cuz kind of going back to what we were saying before is like 
uh, for me, I was listening to as much drum and bass that I could listen to. But the only way I could really access that was like Radio One, so Fabian Groove Rider on 2 a.m. on a Saturday night, um, and and like online as well. But those were sort of the early early days of the internet. And records just sound so much different, man. Like I remember being a kid. Like I remember being 18. I remember going to Ministry to see like Paul Jackson and Jazzy M and stuff at like Ruling. I remember being in Shindig, maybe only 19, seeing Roger Sanchez. I remember distinctly. Roger Sanchez, it was like a night, it must have been like the weekend or around the time that Another Chance was released. Mm. And he played Another Chance five times in a, in a, in a three-hour set. I mm-hmm. mean, um, fucking respect for that to start off with. But like, and I heard this record and I was like, I'd heard it, like I'd heard it at home, right? I'd, I'd heard it like through my little crappy hi-fi speakers or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was there and I was like, what version is this, man? Like, what version is this? Yeah, yeah. And, and then like, I got like backstage and spoke to Jim, and I was like, "What version is this?" And he was just playing the just the version I'd heard before on vinyl in yeah. the club, but coming through that system, it just mm. sounded completely. It just sounded different. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it just goes to show, doesn't it? It's like that. It having that club experience of hearing a record for the first time or even hearing it for the second or third time is <laughs> actually it's hugely, yeah it's hugely important you know um so so university where did you go to university what did you study i managed to get a place at acm which is the academy of contemporary music um in surrey just outside of london um shout out acm and yeah that was just like an amazing experience um re- certainly the f- my first year was just like just learned so much and like being able to connect with people um who were doing the same sort of thing as me same sort of goals um i found very um for, like fulfilling really compared to jersey where there just weren't a lot of people kind of into what i was into i mean there were some but there there wasn't not quite at the same level that i experienced like studying at uni and just the amount of studio time that that we got um being able to like just hone my craft really was just so so um so much fun and just yeah if i take you back to that first year right so if i take you back to like um you know packing up going from jersey to surrey this amazing you know institution that you've 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 been accepted into can you remember what your sort of thought process was at that point like were you i want to become the front man in a band were you i want to become a singer like a songwriter behind the scenes were you i want to be writing drum and bass were you can you remember regardless of, of you know we'll get on to where you are now but can you remember what your thought process was at that point or were you just open to the experience uh yeah so i just wanted to i just wanted to make music and um do a bit of djing and yeah you're like make some drum and bass like that was that was what i was into it it wasn't until i uh, my first year of uni that i started going along to ministry of sounds as a young clubber for the first time that actually opened up my kind of experience of house music obviously i was aware of house music and i you know it was it was cool but i wasn't again going back to like the club experience i remember the first time i went to ministry of sounds 18 years old um and it wasn't even in the main room. It was like in the in the bar in the 103. And this this French French DJ, I don't think I'd even heard of him, was was playing. And um, he dropped this this one tune, and uh, I was just like, "What is this tune? This is like..." And everyone knew it. Everyone was was like singing along. And I was like, "How do people even know this song? And like, <laughs> why do I not know it?" Uh, 
and that was that was David Guetta playing just a little more love, you know, when he was wow. making kind of slightly cooler records. Yeah, and um, that was my yeah, that was my kind of like early foray into like the more of the house scene at that time, which was like you know all the funky house kind of stuff. And just I remember getting back at like caught the first train home back to back to Guildford, and it was like yeah six a.m. and I was just like right straight onto Lime Wire. I was like. <laughs> Right, funky house. Like, where can I find all these tunes? I think you make a really good point. I mean, I remember being, again, going back to being like a kid. I remember like buying Ministry of Sound, like the annuals and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, mixed by Boy George and Pete Tong things. And, um, but I remember going to Ministry for the first time, like going to like, I think it would have been a ruling on a Saturday night or something. Similar experience. Like, I think Paul Jackson was, again, like probably my favorite moment in, in Ministry is like 6 a.m. or whatever, last record. I'm in the bar, I'm not in the box. And Paul Jackson's playing like that, um, uh, that bootleg of, um, is it like everything but the girl soul vision thing? And, um, mm. it's got like that beige vinyl cover and stuff. I've still got it. And just having that moment of like, and I, I don't think I'd heard that record before. And that, what that whole night reminds me so much of is I hardly heard anything that was on those annual CDs. Do you know what I mean? Like I thought I knew what they played at Ministry of Sound because yeah. I had this, because I had the CDs. Fuck yeah. Hell. Do you know what I mean? Like all this just underground wicked music that I'd never heard before. And I was like, like you, I was like, how the fuck do I get this music like, where where is it who makes it um you know and then that's obviously when you start you start digging you get magazines you go to record shops but um yeah that that experience in ministry is is really life-changing so so as you're progressing through had you been making are you using any software at this point like because what are they teaching you on this course are they teaching you composition are they teaching you arrangement are they teaching you how to use logic pro tools cubase like what are, what's the sort of things that are actually going on in these i take it as a three-year course but what sort of things are you actually getting taught in these three years yeah so i was on i'd started on reason actually which uh, i i used to love that program and that was kind of when i was doing the work experience uh job and and they just literally gave me a a PC with a copy of Reason on it, and just said, "Make music. If you've got any questions, ask us." <laughs> and well, well, uh, it was just like crack on, and they were like, "Mate, when we want tea, make the tea, and that's all you've got to do." I was like, "This is the best three weeks <laughs> of my life." Amazing. <laughs> um, so I'd, I'd obviously got, I'd been playing around with Reason, yeah, then for a couple of years. By the before I then went to uni, okay. um, when I went to uni, they taught us Logic, and okay. so that was kind of a bit. I was like, "Right, I've got to." you know, figure this whole thing out. So that was a bit of a learning curve, like learning logic back then. I think it was on like logic six or something. Um, and, but the cool thing was you could rewire a bit of reason into logic. Yeah. So there was, there was a little bit of that. Um, and then, yeah, sort of, I guess like within that first year, I, was, I really became like, um, very, yeah, f- relatively experienced with, with logic itself. So was there any focus I'm going to come back to DJ and ask this question, I think, but was there any focus on, and I'm going to call it electronic music, you know, obviously you know what I mean, and that's encompassing yeah. everything from drum and bass right through to house or, or whatever, but was was there a focus on that or was there more a focus on songwriting? I mean, I know we still think <laughs> that, that songwriting within electronic music, but was there more of a focus on more instrumental songwriting or was, it, was, there, was there a focus across the board? Yeah, so I mean, it, it depended on what you, which route you took, because um, at ACM you can do like you, you can learn drums, you do the drum course, you could learn bass, you could do vocals. I was on the production course, um, so the focus was obviously on production, but there was a, a real mixture of 
uh, modules. So we'd be learning stuff about music business, who the PRS are, who PPL are, how do you deal with a, a record label, uh, right through to, um, yeah, like you say, more songwriting based kind of modules, like writing a song, composing a song, arranging a song, uh, right through to recording bands like how, how do you record a drum kit how do you mic up a drum kit how do you use the desk uh and then you know also the electronic side like how do you use a synthesizer how you know so it was really broad in, sounds in like sense. an amazing course man <laughs> literally oh, sounds yeah, it was literally like you know that film school of rock it yeah basically like that <laughs> sounds unbelievable um so let's so let's just let's we'll come back to production obviously but let's 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 take a step into that the dj world did you so your mate had these decks at an early age did you ever get dj equipment how did you go about getting gigs were you doing gigs before you went to surrey were you doing gigs in jersey like talk us through that little sort of the very first um steps in your dj career Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i I just i managed to get a pair of uh, newmark um direct drive turntables probably when i was about 16 and then I was just, you know, like I said, buying vinyl and from from the record store and um, CD. CD Johns, yeah, <laughs> uh, and just like mixing at home really and and kind of learning it and and get, trying to get better. Um, it wasn't really DJing out at that sort of time. Um, it was probably once I started at uni that I was then, um, yeah, get like starting to get gigs and. Um, and DJ. Can you remember those first gigs? Can you remember the, was it like yeah? Can you remember where you were at? Was it a bar? Was it a union? Where was the first time that you kind of played uh, out publicly? Ah, uh, do you know? I'd love to figure out exactly which was like my first one. I, I can't. I don't think. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure off the top of my head. I, I can remember which was the first one, but I certainly remember. Um, it's probably around 2007, 2008. Uh, me and my friends were doing like um sort of the back room at turn mills um nice. up in london most weekends so they we'd get like a coach load of of people from from down this way drive nice. up to london we'd all sort of dj and you know sell tickets you know how you kind of do back back then and um and yeah like playing these amazing parties obviously turn mills incredible club yeah. and um those are sort of yeah some of the the early experiences of, of djing really um so then let's and obviously we're not going to be able to cover like you know everything you've ever done but so if we move forward um towards the end of the kind of three years um i take it was a three-year course yeah yeah so you, yeah. you come into the end of the three-year course are, are you are you gigging a lot now are you are you earning a, an income out of djing or is it still just a bit of a, a part-time hobby what what is your plan like have you started really ramping up the productions because i mean i think your first release on beat parts about 2008 so like what you know where are you by the end of this kind of three-year degree where are you in your career at that point so towards the i think it was probably second year going into third year starting to get the odd gig here and there that was like paid not like particularly well but um creating some form of an income then i got i had this uh, production partnership with um a friend of mine ben um called tastemakers and we were just we were just making loads of tunes together we got one of our tunes played by fergie on radio one nice um it was like his unsigned track of the week uh so that Shout was out like, to that fergie, was, by the way what a legend yeah. Fergie is, mate check him so out that, on instagram that was, if you don't um, know him. 
that was a big moment obviously getting played on radio one yeah. and by fergie like amazing got the record signed to a small label called born stance paid us uh uh, uh the sum of 200 pounds i think it was hey. um so uh so that was great it was like you know earning money now and i'm still at uni and then we so that that was cause yeah uh then we um we managed to get a record deal with um gut records who uh it's now defunct as a label but um responsible for some pretty pretty big sort of crossover records um and they gave us a development deal basically and we i think we signed that sort of like the beginning of no maybe it was towards the end of like just before we graduated so it was like there was like an, a six-month exclusivity period and yeah i was going to say know. so for anyone who doesn't know tell t- talk us through what a development deal is yeah it's just like um deals I don't sort of hear of them so much these days but um it's where a record label sees a potential in an artist a singer or an act and they don't want to commit i suppose like in as in we're going to give you a big ton of money for to make us an album but um we believe you in you enough to kind of give you a bit of money to essentially get first dibs on you if you make something that we suddenly go oh that's that could be like a big hit or whatever. So yeah, they, they gave us a bit of money again. Like I said, it wasn't loads, but it was enough to come out of uni and actually go, well, I don't have to go and get a job. So that was, that was amazing. So that kind of lasted a few months. I think it was a few months, maybe six months. Um, so we, we had all these like options. So it was like, we were working towards basically them exercising the album option. Cause that would be a nice chunk of money. Um, and uh, so we were just like writing and, and producing records and um, that deal unfortunately didn't sort of go any further than, than that six month period but um, that was when I, I first started um, f- just very accidentally like falling into engineering or if you want to call it ghost production for people um, well I think there yeah. is a difference I mean let's, let, let's touch on that I mean there is a difference yes. in my mind between between engineering and, and ghost production, like I'll tell you what I think and you can agree, disagree and or add your comment. Like, I mean, you know, I'm very open. I use an engineer. I've always used Mark. Like I work with Mark and I'm always in the room with him. Like we're there every day. I bring ideas. I bring samples. I bring vocals. You know, we work on everything together in the, in the room. And, yeah. and, and obviously a lot of people use engineers and they also use different things, whether it be a, a mix you know a mixer people use writers and we'll get onto what you do for people but you know arrangers you know writers all kinds of collaborations going in the background for me i think ghost production is is either buying a record that's already finished <laughs> so, so if someone says you know i want a record and someone goes i've got this and it's x amount of money and you go all right i'll take it you know there's that and i, I or i guess yeah, I guess maybe that's what what I what I mean really. I think I think that line can be blurred at times, but what yeah. you know, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I think that's 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 bang on really by by definition. Um it was what I was doing then was certainly in the camp of engineering, i.e. Okay. yeah, I'm doing the all the legwork, but it's someone coming to the studio with yeah. ideas, with like you say, samples or reference tracks and and, and but I think it's also being present within that session as well because there's a lot of people that can come into those sessions and they go 
and they go right this I, I need an engineer and they pay you know someone like myself x amount of money for the day or for the the, the record that's made and they go right pull out the the newspaper sit back <laughs> and they're like crack on <laughs> you know and they're, and they're not they're not sort of um present whereas I, I and i'm not saying that's like everyone but you do get some people uh can be a bit like that um yeah there's different, the, the, there's different the, layers of sure for sure yeah yeah and it's like if you know if you're involved and you're sort of uh taking more of like a director kind of role and and been involved then then it's um it's less sort of ghost productiony if that makes sense <laughs> So for, from that world, so people are coming to you, um, paying you X Sorry, amount of money. One sec, I've got, I just need to plug in my charger. One sec, one sec. Cool, no worries. And we're back in the room. For the benefit of the um, of the edit, I will have cut out that minute or so that Nathan plugged his charger in, but I can tell you that he is wearing a snazzy pair of trousers or shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those, mate. They are spectacular. Um, yeah, that so was you- me getting it into instagram adverts during lockdown oh mate yeah i've bought some shit off those instagram adverts. i'm still waiting for most of it to fucking arrive um so you're doing some engineering for people i don't know if i'm about to skip a step but where you i guess became a part you know on my radar was i was seeing records and then also i was seeing you um on the lineups and i think i saw you play but i saw you at ministry if uh, tell me if we're jumping a huge step here and by all means we'll go back but where did that um association with, with, with ministry of sound begin yeah so actually um it was one thing i forgot to tell you when i in my first year at uni um there was i, I specifically remember them actually on our first day they s- sat us down in the room and there was probably like 30 of us on this production course and they said we're going to be honest with you music industry it's tough it's like it there's a there's it's not an easy industry to get into and the reality is like probably one percent of you are gonna you know make it whatever making it means you know one percent of you are gonna uh, uh, make it and and that was kind of quite a bit of a wake-up call for me in that sense i was like wow really oh okay i mean i'm just gonna have to make sure i'm that one percent so um so it just kind of gave it just gave me that fire in my belly to like you know i've got to got to make something of this and this is my passion this is what uh, i love doing so you know i don't want to come out of this working a job stacking shelves at sainsbury's for example so um so then i just i just made an effort to um make an effort with the people who could hook me up with industry so there was a particular department who at acm who that all their job was was to find opportunities for students um so i just made friends with them and um was like yeah any any stuff you've got like i'm interested and they posted i think it was just like an email went round and it was like look there's um an opportunity has come up the ministry of sounds the a and r department are looking for an intern it's not paid, but they'll, they'll cover your travel expenses up to London. Um, it's for like three months or something like that. And I was like, I think they sent it at like 1.59. I'd responded by 1.59 and 30 seconds just because I was like, 
I'm going that's the op- that's the kind of opportunity that you know gets you in the door you know that's where you, you can meet people you can gain connections um so I was just I was just really um proactive about things like that and uh yeah so I went up did an interview and and fortunately they they gave me the job so through that that was like my first connection with Ministry of Sound as a as a company um I was stuffing promo cds and vinyls in jiffy bags and sending them out to djs that was pretty much my role in the anr department um and and yeah it was just like an amazing kind of learning curve and to kind of see the you know all of that um uh going you know how, how a company like that works and and then obviously um who are some of the guys that were working there then like shout out some of the names see if uh, i know them or anyone else knows them who are you kind of working for who was who you know who was who was in charge who was who else was in the room yeah so i mean i was basically carl hannigan's assistant you probably know carl yourself yeah. um and then it was like david dollymore and depeche were just they were like A&R, they weren't even head of ARs at that point um but you know now david dollymore is like president of rca um and depeche runs ministry and responsible for just countless countless huge hits um and yeah i mean there was i mean that was just in the A&R department that, that i was sort of involved in so um so yeah that was my first experience in ministry and then you know through working there like often went to the club as a clubber and sort of like i said my first experience of of house music on a big sort of sound system and um and yeah just kind of like made connections with people at the company that ultimately have led to me becoming resident seven years later and doing all the worldwide tours for the company and um you know resident at the club and just playing warming up for all the biggest djs that came into town like it was incredible where did you where did you sort of where would you say you honed your house music DJ skills? Was it the back room of Turmills? Where did or, or were you or were you in a way chucked in at the dependent ministry and learnt on the job? Yeah, so the the ministry residency at the club that didn't that came later. So I would definitely say from the age of about eighteen to onwards was like those early years were like where I was really getting into house music and um honing my dj skills and and production skills um around that kind of music um so yeah coming out of uni record deal then record deal ending just carrying on with engineering then it was like right i you know the engineering was a bit of money but i needed another source of income really so i then started doing more like pop gigs really like playing top 40 music um you know you could you could start as i as i sort of built that up um you know it was earning pretty good money um it's quite draining because you'd be doing like sometimes four or five gigs in a week and then yeah. you've got like four or five engineering bookings in the week also like and those became, gigs tend to be long as well you know it's not like your 90 minute house set they tend to be like no, four exactly. five six hours nine till three or whatever and yeah and if you've got to be up the next morning and be focused on engineering for someone else and, and the other thing i would say i mean it's been interesting and I'll, and I'll ask you this question like I guess the engineering thing's interesting because you it's different because you're not working on specifically your own records so you are working for someone else someone's paying you someone's potentially there however involved they are or not there um yeah. 
But it's a different mindset, isn't it, to be working on something that you want to make because it's for you as opposed to having to do what someone is directing you to do. And that's that's draining in itself, I think, on top of a, a far mm. five-hour set the, the previous night. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, no, go on, man. Um, sorry, so the, question, so the question was really like, so you're doing this engineering, you're doing those top 40 gigs. I think you're trying to link into where that ministry thing came or is that where you were going? Um, yeah, I was, just, I was just kind of like filling you in on the ministry backstory, really. So, yeah, so, yeah, we're now talking early 20s, engineering, top 40 gigs. Um, but then I kind of, so I kind of did that for a couple of years and then I got I got to this point where I was just like, I'm I'm not making records for myself. I'm not I'm not doing like records that I want to make necessarily just because I haven't got time for it because I'm making records for other people and doing all these gigs. So it got to this is probably 2011. What sort of I, stuff are you engineering, by the way? We'll, we'll come back to 2011. What sort of stuff yeah. were you? Was it house? Was it drum and bass? Was it pop? Was it were you writing people? Like what what sort of stuff in those early days were you engineering for people? Yeah, so it was, it was predominantly house house okay. stuff. Um, you can see that record there. Um, yeah. Jason Chance, the beginning on Stealth. So um, Jason's like one of my best mates, and we became best mates through uh, well, we first met DJing at Terminals actually back in those days when we were running the back rooms. And um, Jason was like looking for an engineer, and I started helping him out. and we both sort of live locally. So, um, yeah, we've, you know, become best mates through that. Um, so it's a lot of stuff for Jace. Um, yeah, stealth tour room, starting to do stuff for tour room around that time. Um, all the, all the sort of like typical house labels. Cool. Like yeah, CR2. yeah, that makes sense. So, um, so, so you're very much in, getting into this house music lane from that, even from that early, early period. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I suppose it got to like 2011 and I was just like, oh, I really, yeah, just haven't got that time for my own music. And that, that's actually what I, why I got into this in the first place. So I felt like, you know, and I certainly don't regret it because it's, it's provided me with being able to do music full time. But I felt like I'd sort of gone a little bit off track as to where I'd maybe initially wanted to go with things. So I decided to... Um, literally just like cut all the work all the engineering work all the dj work and i actually moved back to jersey for a year okay because um, my parents had like a spare room in their house and i thought you know what if i can just focus on my own stuff for like a year that uh, that's all i need to like really like build my own artist profile yeah so you know and i gave i gave what is this pre-ministry really residency? Is this pre-touring for yeah. ministry? Right, okay, yeah, got you, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, 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 so, got you. Um, yeah, so this, so, you know, I gave up a lot, really. Yeah. Um, but, so I went back to Jersey, focused on my own stuff, um, and it was great. Like, I was just making my own music what I wanted to make, um, starting to get some, like, decent support from a lot of DJs, getting some decent signings, and this was kind of, I was then veering more towards the proggy house, kind of stuff and uh, this i suppose this was like the early records uh as as it develops into what we now know is like edm yeah and i was like i was taken by the sort of like the more energetic stuff um this is making kind of yeah my first phrase into that i suppose and anyway so i was then 
I must have been back in Jersey for about eight months or so. And I got a random call uh, from someone at ministry. So, oh, hi, Nathan. Yeah, we're looking for residents for to join the roster for, for ministry tours. Are you interested? I was like, yes. So, <laughs> uh, hold on, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, flew to uh, flew over to London and just went to meet him for a, a coffee and um, just kind of told him what I was up to, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're like, yeah, yeah, great. Well, you know, this is kind of how the setup is with the, the, the tour gigs. Um, you know, we'll kind of we'll be in contact. So, couple of weeks went by hadn't heard anything get another call oh hi nathan yeah um basically we'd love to have you on board on the worldwide tours are you free to go to china for two gigs like in four weeks or three weeks time or something i was like i couldn't get on the plane quick enough it was amazing and that was like what probably one of my first international gigs you know um and that that was amazing i was so happy with that because it, it was like everything I'd, I'd worked towards from going to ministry when i was 18 years old you know seeing like tall room and mark knight and people like that that i really and funk agenda that i really looked up to and I, I remember being in that club once and i said to myself one day i'm gonna i'm gonna play in this club and you know it took it took a bit of time but just to well that that wasn't even club resident actually at that point it was just the ministry worldwide tours so just to be like associated with that brand in that way was like a real like milestone for me yeah so that was great so yes yeah, so that was the beginning of of all the the tour stuff which then ended up i think probably a year later um i just kept badgering them can i play the club can i play the club <laughs> and they eventually let me <laughs> and then and then so we, we're drifting dangerously towards what is probably um you know i would easily say the most important record of your life which is our collab um that we <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's 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 the thing that changed so much for us um you know obviously i, mean, I can see that disc in the background ours must have fallen down but um <laughs> um but yeah so so but um so yeah i mean go and check out this is our night it's a real good record um so you you so you you get getting that residency ministry when do you and again hold me back if i'm if i'm if i'm moving too fast but when do you then move back into not engineering as such but maybe it is engineering depending on how you describe it but into what you are probably more prominently known for now which would be how would you term it songwriting engineering arranging executive producer like what where did you move back into that realm yeah, so I then, uh, ministry residency, so I'd moved back to, as soon as I got the residency, uh, I decided to move back to the UK because um, it, just, it just made a lot more sense. So obviously then your costs kind of go up. So I was like, right, I need to take on a few engineering bits again. Um, so but I was starting to get like a couple of remixes here and there, which like paid all right. Um, and yeah so it's just a mixture of like tour gigs club gigs and um and like engineering and that kind of like paid my way and then i it must have been early 2013 i got approached by um a company called xenomania who are very famous uh pop production um house like company um make 
basically made responsible for making all of girls allowed records um just huge huge hits like countless top 40 top 10 hits um like google them basically if you want more information and uh and and that again that was like a, a really big thing so I went for an interview with them had a chat and they were like you, you know we're looking for for producers to come in and help sort of finish off records uh, you know and this is in the mo much more like pop side but they were interested in the dance music side of things and that was kind of what I brought to the table with having the experience of house music I suppose and um and all of that so yeah I went down for like a trial day and they gave me a uh, Nadine Coyle uh, vocal to to work around and uh literally spent a day working on that and they were just like wow this is like what you've done is is like amazing this could actually be her potentially her first like comeback single now like with what you've done and i was like okay amazing like this is awesome uh always wanted to get more into the pop side of things didn't think it was something i'd be doing until i was like into my 40s to be honest but all of a sudden they were like they they love what I was doing and what I brought to the table, and they said yeah just like keep coming back so kept keep going down coming there, back. <laughs> and, uh, and then they offered me a publishing and production deal off the off the back of going down a couple more times, okay, um, which was amazing. So that was um, that just really gave me another string to my bow really in terms yeah. of like and I you know like I said I wanted to get more into the pop side of of things, and that was my that was probably my uh sort of bit yeah like a really good what's the word just like a really good um experience in terms of pop music songs like the more songwriting side and and understanding that you know i've always worked with vocalists up until that point but maybe not quite in the same way that um i, I learned from from going down there and just the caliber of people that were coming through it was like you know the Saturdays would would rock through like and just like M and E K. You know I was working on loads of his um, top lines like back in in those days and oh, those days. I mean it was only like seven or eight years ago. But um, yeah, so just a, a really really good learning curve. And were you balancing that off with? So were you doing this kind of stuff through the week for them, but then you were off still touring and still doing ministry yeah. on the weekend? And did you find that? Did you find did you find that easier to balance off than what you were doing previously with those pop gigs and stuff? Did you feel like you had a working week and then you had a gigging weekend? Yeah, so I'd, I'd, by that point I I wasn't doing the pop gigs anymore, but because yeah. it was just the the tour stuff and the ministry and, and the club, um, and then yeah, doing the Xenomania stuff. So I was down there maybe once or twice a week, um, but then at the same time I was you know trying to do the artist thing and um get you know get nathan c records out there basically and you know there was there was sort of remixes coming in and was getting some good good things away sort of getting decent plays on radio one all that sort of stuff um yeah so there was there was a lot going on actually if i think back um so it, it was it's a it's a lot to to like manage and um you know yeah the traveling is like i love it but it's, it's draining on on you you know sort of physically i know people might struggle to kind of see that but it's um yeah if you come off the back of like flying to china for the weekend and then expected to go into the studio monday morning 9 a.m yeah, it yeah it's just like okay right just, just crack on but yeah it's um 
but that that's that's kind of what we sign up for right yeah i was going to make that point before which is like there's nothing there's very few things in my career that has been as exciting as that first time that you're getting on a plane to go and play records somewhere else like mm. someone's paid for you to be on a fucking plane do you know what I mean right. and you're like on right. a plane and then you get off and someone picks you up in a car and takes you to a hotel and gives you fucking free booze and you play records and people like it and then they pay you for it and you're like motherfucker this is unbelievable um mm -hmm. but then you know without but like then you the converse side of it is and, and obviously we'd all love to get on a fucking plane now and go and play records mm -hmm. but it is draining it is that travel the travel is draining and and and, mm -hmm. and if you are if you're in the studio Monday to Friday, then like you say, trying to get up with a clear head after, after doing that, that, that is, is tricky. Um, so then we're moving forward a little bit and, um, you're working on Nathan C as an artist. Um, ministry thing comes to an end. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this was like my, this was a bit like a bit of a low point actually for me. So, uh, it, was, it happened around the same time. So my, my, I was with Xenomania probably for about two years. Um, but they didn't renew my publishing deal. Um, I'd had like one hit, one top 40 hit with them. Uh, it was on a what Saturday's record. All right. Okay, uh, sat cool. Saturday's. Yeah. Uh, what are you waiting for? Um, but it wasn't like big, huge, like top five smash, which I think they were probably hoping for. Um, and so anyway, yeah, my publishing deal didn't renew with them. They were kind of scaling down the company a bit because just we weren't having like as many hits as, as they used to have. And uh, then my ministry gig, um, I, yeah, I was just kind of like they were going in a bit of a different musical direction at the club. Um, I was, yeah, I mean, this is like peak of like EDM and like the big, big room kind of stuff. And yeah. um, I think ministry, they wanted to take the club in a slightly cooler direction, which was fine. Um, and there was a you know a few changeovers in terms of um, sort of uh, staff in the office. So yeah, things just change as, as they always do. But unfortunately, the two things that were my main sources of income, they just ended um, at, at the same time. And I, I had a studio that I was renting um, at that point. So I, I basically just all the luxuries like that had to go. So I you know I had to close, get rid of the studio, move all my gear back into my bedroom, um, which wasn't wasn't fun um but you know you just that's what you do you just crack on really and if i, and, if I take you back going. to that point i'm not dwelling on it because there's plenty more highs to come so mm. can you but just to take you back to that point like and, and you mentioned this right at the start of the show about you know we're sort of prepared for this as people who are self-employed we're used to people mm. just going no you don't have that gig anymore like you know what i mean yeah. like and just just taking away an income especially as a dj um so can you remember like what was th was this a, like, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but can you remember what your plan was? Was there a, like, right, okay, this needs to change. I need to restack what I'm doing. Was there, a, I need to double down on what I'm doing and I, and I will find a way. Like, what was the sort of thought process at, at that point? Cause that is, like you say, it's a, it's a big fucking blow. And what, mm. were, what were you, what were you thinking? How do I get out of this? What was the plan? Um, I think the main part of the plan was just like, keep going um that's always yeah the, i guess the best thing but it's just like we've got to pay bills got to survive so just keep going keep doing what you know i have a skill set i can make music and i can dj so it's just like finding any way of utilizing that really in a in 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 any way possible um but although i did i i think around that time I was starting to fall out of love with music altogether. And one of the things I, I always said was, um, 
you know, if I, if I stop loving doing what I'm doing, I'm just going to stop and do something. It was probably our track, mate. That's probably what really... <laughs> <laughs> that's what probably really... Okay. I, would deny, and I was like, no, I'm just done now. That is it. I'm out. <laughs> no, that was, that was a great track. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just kind of was like, just, yeah, falling out of love with it a little bit. And yeah. I can identify with that man. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely went through a, a period like yeah. a good few years ago when I just didn't feel like, yeah, I mean, I don't need to harp on about it. It's really self-explanatory. You just don't feel like you're making music that you really like and you don't feel like the scene's going in a way that you want to be part of and you just lose that kind of get up and go to, to do stuff. And I guess it was it's easier for me because I found a way of just checking out of making music and just playing music and I found a way of reinventing what I was playing finding different gigs slightly altering the sound of, of my residency to suit what I was like enjoying a bit more but I found it really easy to just go oh do you know what then like because it's not because I don't earn money out of making music like I just go well I'm just going to stop for a bit um but obviously yeah. you as an, an engineer or a songwriter like that was that's not quite the same decision for you um so yeah what happened what how did you get out of that or how did you deal with it or how did you rectify it so i was just it was like you know as with anything you just got to pay the bills so just taking on a bit more engineering work um and kind of, I, I kind of like just figured out other ways of making money so just on the side so i was I was selling secondhand TVs nice. um, on it on eBay and Gumtree, and I was making a bit of money out of that. And nice. um, oh, there was some like random bits of like part-time work. I was like working at the Top Gear racetrack. Nice, um, <laughs> mate. That's amazing. <laughs> mate, don't think you're getting away with just slipping that in and not going into more detail. <laughs> what were you doing at the Top Gear racetrack? Are you um, Stig? Are you? We are Master Stig. Like on the podcast. I'd, I'd love to say I, to say I am or was, but no, definitely not. So what were you doing? Um, yeah, basically my so that they, they used to have uh, like a customer experience, like these experience days, yeah. like a track day, so you could go around the car, go around in the uh, Bentley with the Stig drive you around, or you could do Star in a reasonably priced car. So I was like support staff basically like signing Amazing. customers in yeah giving them a little like lowdown of the track of like like kind of like coaching them of like all your breaking points and like how to do the track put that we get them on like the xbox consoles and there was um was it forza motorsport they had like a recreation of of the track so you, you get the customers to like practice on that and and then they'd go out and do it for real on, on the actual track so um yeah, I was just working there like a couple of days a week, nice, um, which was it was good fun actually. It was some, you know, nice to do something different. But um, ultimately, like music was always in in my bones, in my blood, um, and yeah, it was kind of coming off the back of 2016. Um, I I completely packed in music altogether for like a month. Wow. Um, I I took on a role. Uh, it's like some sales job working with a mate of mine. Um, I, I just got to that point where I was just like, I just can't, I just, yeah, really like probably lowest point. So quit music, didn't open logic for yeah, a whole month. Um, which is like the longest amount of time I've gone without making music for and just started like doing this, this, this other job. And, okay. um, I, yeah, it got to a point where I was just like, it wasn't like cold calling, but it was kind of like, 
these calls would be set up and I'd be going around people's houses, like trying to sell them this product. And um, I was doing it for a few weeks and just really didn't like it at all. I was like, this is just really not me. Um, There's nothing like a real, I have this experience, mate. There is nothing like a real job to push you straight back (laughs) into music, DJing and just working out a fucking way to make it work. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Completely agree. So, um, yeah, like I said, I was doing this for about a month. And then <laughs> one of my uh, engineering clients got in touch, probably hadn't spoken to him for about six months or so. Uh, and he was like, look, I need this track doing. Are you free to, to work on it? And money was quite good. And I thought, you know what? I'm not really getting anywhere with this job. I'm just going to take a, a day off um, and, and, and do this track um with my client so took the day off opened up logic for the first time in like a month um started making it and i just don't know what happened but just just was like got this buzz back and i was like oh my goodness i'm really happy with this track like this is what i've been missing for all this time and just i remember that was like a moment for me and literally the next day called up my boss at at this show i was like mate i I can't do this anymore i'm I'm just literally gonna go back to to doing music and from that point i was like i have to make this work i have to figure out a way and it it was a it was a really good kind of like kick up the ass wake up moment of like no you can do this you like you have a gift you have a talent um just like figure out a way and so yeah like full throttle then um a couple of months later I was, I was just really like back into kind of like myself in terms of like network mode, meeting people, figuring out like opportunities. Um, friend of mine, Kid Massive, he was like, why don't you try doing sample packs? I was like, oh yeah, I've done ben, some old right? ones. Benjamin, that's, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Yeah, I'd done some old ones for Tool Room like a few years before that. And they were quite fun, like something a little bit different. And he, and so, yeah, Benjamin was like, um, oh mate, I've, I've got a link up at loop masters I'll, I'll definitely like hook you up and started chatting with them they were like oh yeah we'd love to do a sample pack with you um you know this is how much we'll kind of pay you to do it or the, the you know different kind of like ways of structuring the deal yeah so i was like yeah great do a couple of those um and then another friend of mine um was like oh yeah capital we're looking for djs for the ministry of sounds capital weekender show um I, it, it's too like commercial like music wise it's too commercial for me but if you want i can i can hook you up with them i was like yeah i'd, I'd do something like that i'd love to do like radio because uh, i'd never really gotten into radio in a in a big way other than like doing a podcast a few years ago um so he he introduced me to them and and they at the time they were like look we're we're full up we're not looking for any more djs at the <clears> moment but literally a few like a month went on and they got in touch out of the blue and they were like, um, yeah, look, we, we're looking for more DJs now. We'd love love you to come in and, and like do a like, trial sort of thing. So I was like, brilliant. So I went in and then they were like, yeah, you're great. You're, on, you're going live on air like this weekend to like 9 million people. I was like, this is awesome. Like, and just kind of got that buzz back, you know. You yeah, can hear it in like, your voice, mate. Even just talking about that little period of time, yeah, you can yeah. hear the kind of buzz in your voice about it. Yeah. So, and it, you know, it was playing more commercial music, but you know, it's still, it's a gig, you know, and that when you're self-employed to have that, 
yeah. like solid form of income. It doesn't have to like pay all your bills, but just to have something. Something like, that, yeah, yeah. I always say like it's, it's rent money in it. If you know your rent's paid yeah, yeah, yeah. every month by something, like you know, one of my favorite gigs I've ever done was like I used to do like every Monday at digital, which was like a student night. You know, ministry has a similar thing, I think, on a Monday or Wednesday or something. And yeah, it was yeah. like that gig and I was like what else are you going to do on a fucking Monday night do you know what I mean like go down play just fucking party mash up bangers whatever I loved it man it was like you know 1500 2000 kids there every Monday but it was yeah, like yeah. in my head I was always like that just pays the rent man every week every month to allow me Monday to Friday to concentrate on you know making music networking meeting people creating podcasts creating radio shows like all that yeah. kind of stuff that goes along with it yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, that was great. I loved loved doing that. Um, and then, yeah, it was just kind of really getting the buzz back. And then um, I ended up, someone sent me a song, actually. I think it was on SoundCloud, just like randomly. And I was like, oh, this is like really good. Like, And we ended up collaborating on it. And then I got it, um, sent it around to a few like labels and then um, ended up becoming like this Matoma single uh on on warner records and um they got the vamps to like vocal it and and then we ended up having like a top 40 hit with that like 2017 and um yeah it was just it felt like things were starting to snowball um for, from that those sorts of like those moments like onwards and 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 that was me kind of delving more into like that you know the the more kind of chart pop yeah kind of crossover kind of world really still you know still doing like house records and engineering and uh, my own stuff but it was um yeah just just felt like it was it was getting more to kind of where i wanted to get to i.e getting signed you know in a, in a in a sort of major deal and and doing like a publish like a you know serious sort of publishing deal really and did that happen yeah i mean it's it's all happened like in the last 12 months um so, so, let's talk, well, so let's talk about before we go there let's talk about that mm. single behind your shoulder um so let's, ta- <laughs> so let's talk about the medusa yeah just i mean you don't have to go into you know phenomenal detail but just you know talk me through that as a process from the very first you know time that you heard about it or were asked about it until you know like you say until that probably leads to the, the deal that you were just talking about yeah yeah so um yeah we're talking like what 2017 the matoma record uh like went top 40 um and i think a few people kind of took note of that and sort of seen that i was starting to do you know some of this sort of more crossover um these crossover bits and um i was working just i was working with anyone and and everyone that i could like work with in terms of like songwriter wise so um had these two young young lads who um didn't really have any track record but just like super into writing songs and um started you know i was working with them for probably about six months and um yeah i just thought they were just like really talented and they were just so eager and and just up for it so we were writing loads of stuff together then i got a call from um um matt from medusa but medusa didn't exist then um so him and simon were doing uh their sdjm project together yeah they did um, like did they do a version of a backstreet boys track were you, yes. were you were you involved in that no i wasn't involved in that okay. but at that point i think they'd they'd had the was it the whitney houston cover and That's then right. yeah yeah so that one had done quite well on 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 spotify and streaming and 
it was around that time they approached me and they said, look, we, we saw you had the success with the Matoma record. Um, would you be up for like coming and writing for our SDJM project? Because we're looking for like more just original songs that can be like within that sort of lane. So I was like, yeah, great. I'd love to love to come in and, and write with you guys. So um, I said, look, I'm working with these two young lads who are songwriters. I think they're really good. They've got no track record, but can I bring them with me? And they were like, um, yeah, cool. Like we're in London for a week. Like just we've got one day set aside for for you, basically. Um, so we went in, uh, wrote for like the brief was like vocal, sort of piano-y commercial house. Wrote a song. And they're like, yeah, this is great. Um, probably we'd, I think we'd finished by about 3 p.m., 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And they were like, look, do you want to? We, we've got the studio till like six or seven do you want to like to start a new idea so we're like yeah yeah cool so started this this new idea and literally by 6 p.m 7 p.m we had all the main parts of piece of your heart done you disgust me <laughs> <laughs> but i mean that's down to the talent of you know yeah. uh, josh and connor because you know they're just super super talented songwriters so josh um, and connor the good the good boys uh essentially yeah i mean this yeah. is all pre good boys Medusa. Pre, yeah. so yeah. what happened was um and how that, finished i mean how finished are we talking when you say finished are we talking like a v1 rough demo are we talking like what we essentially heard on radio like how how finished are we talking on that day um yeah i mean in terms of like all the the main vocal melodies the uh, show me a piece of your heart piece of your love and the da, 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 da. you know that was all done like there and then in the session even like the um you know the the, the sort of like the classic now medusa bass line you know that that was all kind of done there and then so it was a really quick process and i find with with the more successful records they tend to come around like that in a really yeah. fluid cohesive you're not even thinking about it kind of way and um and then so like a couple of weeks later um i got a call from their management they were like look we're really excited about this idea that you you did at the end of the session um we we want to create like a new because it was so detached from their their other project yeah they were like we want to create this new like artist project around it uh we're going to call it medusa what do you think i was like yeah sounds great they said um we're going to do like a bit of like pr uh, promo send it out to a few djs um and kind of just gauge the feedback but we f we feel like it's re you know really strong song track so i was like yeah cool i didn't really think much of it other than it's you know it's a cool song like and to, and to, and to out of my own interest but also to clarify for people listening like at this point are you part of medusa do you think you're part of medusa or are you very aware that you were there as a writer like as you know a gun for hire like is that is that is that like so they didn't even really need to clear these things with you essentially they were being polite by telling you but they didn't even really need to tell you about it being called medusa or anything no but you know they obviously there was like you still have to kind of get everything agreed in in, in place okay. yeah i was i definitely wasn't like a part of it uh because it was like their thing but i was a part of it as a you know as a writer like you say yeah um so yeah just um oh uh, you were just saying you were saying that basically they were just they were going to send it out but you weren't well i think you were going to say i don't want to put words in your mouth i think you were going to say yeah i didn't think it was going to be a global worldwide smash 
yeah 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 no 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 <laughs> of course not yeah i mean you just do these records every you know it's like the same thing that you do every day is like you go into sessions work with new people work with people you worked with before and it's the same sort of process like write a song but you don't come out of that I mean, sometimes you come out of it going, oh, that's going to be a big, big record and, and it's not. Um, and then other times like like then it was like, I just thought it was a cool record that would exist. You know, it might go top 10 on Beatport and a few cool DJs would play it. Um, but where I was maybe naive in my thinking was that I was thinking at, at it from more of the point of view of like what was going on in the charts and, and what people were playing then, because then it was much more commercially piano e house sort of sound what i didn't actually pick up on was like it was so different from everything else that it's it created this lane of its of its own because there was a real lack of music like that that had uh, a strong song behind it um but also satisfied that kind of cool camel fat disciples sort of sound And, and i think that's why it kind of broke through in in the way that it did but i mean yeah going on from like just after we we wrote the song um they sent it around to a few djs it got like really strong reactions mr jam played it i think two weeks in a row on radio one and then this like whole bidding war like unleashed for the record so this was like summer 2018 oh so it got it got played on that's really interesting so it was played by mr jam prior to even being signed to a label yeah no it wasn't signed at this point that's interesting um and so there was like huge reaction then all the labels like jumped on it then they were like jam needs to like stop playing this because we're going to set it up for like the following year um so that sort of happened and then winter came and and kind of was just like writing records and i'd kind of forgotten about it to be honest and then i was in a session with um with uh josh good boys um i think it was around december or january um going into 2019 and um we're like oh yeah when's that like pc heart record coming out and it was like oh yeah like i think february sort of time i was like oh cool like see what happens and then um yeah the record came out and just i think that's my favorite comment you're like and then yeah (laughs) (laughs) snowball I mean, just completely unexpected. I mean, I I suppose actually at that point, I I realized there was a lot of hype on it. You know, we we ended up doing like a single song assignment on the publishing deal because all the publishers wanted to sign everyone's like. um, So what does that mean for people that don't understand? What does that mean? Uh, So a publisher looks after the songwriters, the songwriting interests on a record. So um, if you're in an exclusive publishing deal, um you're exclusively signed to that publisher as a songwriter for a period of usually three or four years potentially longer um at that at this point i was unpublished so i didn't have a publishing company representing me um other than for like just single Single, song assignment deals so yeah a bunch of us had uh were unpublished as well so um yeah it was it was an exciting time because like Sony and Warners had had come in for it and um and they were all sort of like yeah outbidding each other and then Universal came in and and we did the deal with them so um so that was you exciting. don't need you don't need to tell me like numbers but first of all I mean I'm just I'm asking these questions a because I'm interested but b there might be a lot of people out there that are listening that don't know how these these things go behind the scenes so as a writer 
how much say do you have in this? Like, do you have any say about where it goes? Or are you just sort of being carried along by the management? Like, do you have a say when you're like, oh, I don't want to sign it to one or I do want to sign it to Sony? Or are you just going, yes, someone likes the fucking record? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you've definitely got a say in these things. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, probably more so on the writing side. Because, um, yeah, on the label side or the master side, which kind of just left it up to them um, with who they ended up going with um and did you yeah. receive and again i'm not asking for money here but did you receive like uh, an advance did you receive money in a, an advance of it being released like when it when, when it signed yeah 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 great yeah and um you know that's just an for people who don't understand how it works that's just an advance on future royalties so yeah. the, you know they can pay that amount of money the record could flop and they you know you don't owe that money back um but they're you know universal in this example would would be like out of pocket for that that money um so that's a loss for them um but you know this is the gamble that uh the big major companies like they take on records um so yeah and then then obviously the record came out in in february of last year and um started streaming really well um and yeah within a month or two no no two months it yeah no it did take a little bit of time to get going but I think a couple of months and suddenly we appeared on like Capital Daytime playlist and Radio One playlist. And it was like, oh, my goodness, this record's actually going now. And yeah, um, yeah it, it was like an incredible time, an incredible summer, really, of just going to Ibiza and hearing just random DJs play it in their sets and, uh, you know, be all over like radio and people driving down the street in their cars and you hear it playing out and yeah just just an amazing time and and everything that we work for as um musicians producers writers djs um you know from the very beginning we all aspire to have successful records like this you don't know where they're going to come from but um for it to to finally happen in such a big way um for for all of us involved in that record was just like such an amazing thing like just super grateful for it um like i said you can't expect these things and and you don't expect these things um but yeah amazing yeah i was i mean i was just like you know I, I, the first i think i heard of it was you sort of posting about it on facebook saying like this is going to be a you know a big record and at the time i was obviously wasn't even aware that you were part of it do you know what i mean i think you were just mm. like this is going to do real well but and then obviously as it as it progressed and became huge i was just buzzing that you know that something you know good had happened to a good a good guy do you know what i mean because there are there's you know and i've known you obviously for years and i think it, i was just I'm always happy when something good happens to someone who's good, a good person, because the music industry can be a, a brutal fucking industry to be in. And we've already touched on, mm. you know, some of the, the points in, in your life that were, that were low, really. Um, mm. and then, and then I'm aware we've been chatting for a while. So I will begin to wrap it up in a minute, but I'd like to know what's happened since really. So obviously, like, you know, we're obviously the, the, the pandemic hit, but. How much did that change your life? Did it change how much you were getting paid for engineering? Did it change the people you were working with? Did it not change anything at all? Like, I'm interested to know, like, from last summer, how did mm. that change things for you? Yeah, like, it changed, changed my life, really. Um, uh, certainly last year, it was just, like, people coming out of the woodwork, like, wanting to, like jump in sessions and like oh can you come and write for this or write for that or produce for this produce for that um and it's just like how did you even get my email address like it, you know it's like 
but it was cool like i really appreciate that people are expressing an interest in in what i, I do. gave them i gave them it like i gave everyone it everyone, <laughs> everyone hit me up do you know what i mean they were like mate after that collab can you can you hook me up and i was like yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> i just posted it on twitter and instagram and everything mate i put it everywhere um but yeah no you know i was i was getting thrown into sessions with you know huge writers and singers and um and just a lot of interest from the industry, like labels and and publishers, and you know the real top end, and and the people you just used to think, oh, it's, it's impossible to get through get through to these people, and and now all of a sudden they're all listening to records that I send them, and like hanging out with me, and like just yeah, just showing a real interest, and um, yeah, it was just just amazing, and and then had like a record um that we'd made last uh it was around sort of last summer uh and a lot of the labels were, were sort of trying to sign it from us um which ended up becoming the the joy club record that we released this year so um just yeah, to tell us a little just, bit about joy club how did that come about who uh who is it that you do joy club with so joy club is a collaboration between me a friend of mine called james and uh, another guy called rick uh rick boardman who's a very successful songwriter he has a, a like a team of kind of well they're called the six and they're like a songwriting sort of collective and they've had like big hits um yeah for a num- number of uh, artists and we we hooked up um last summer uh, i think it was last summer earlier in the year maybe um and yeah just kind of like interested in each other's work and um and 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 started to to collaborate on on songs and and various bits and bobs that um that that and, and yeah just ended up doing this record um called in the night which um they actually originally they'd written with rick had written it with the medusa guys okay and um and they decided not to use it for medusa and then I started working on it and changed the produ- production around a little bit, um, and and that, yeah, that became like the the sort of single that a lot of, a lot of labels suddenly became really interested in, and then we decided to create this Joy Club thing uh, based around our collaboration of the three of us, but with Rick more just in the background as like the sort of songwriter, me and James sort of fronting it as so you know more of a DJ production duo kind of yeah. thing. I think it's so, interesting like that point you bring up because it's something that I don't think a lot of people who aren't involved in the industry are aware of is that songs often have these, I mean, you obviously tell the story and, and shout out to Ridney and his um, secrets of a dance hit podcast. I don't know why he hasn't had you on, but obviously a lot of those songs that like you said just seem to come together in a few hours or a couple of days and really quickly, but other records have this life where they like float around and different people work on them and vocals get taken off and put on and they move from this artist to that artist and they go from being a solo project to being a collab to being this and that. And like, I don't think people, um, who again, aren't in the inside the industry always understand that. Like, um, mm. that sometimes these songs float around a little bit. So it's interesting that, like you say, it started off with someone else and then that wasn't used for that project and then you changed the production on it and then it became Joy Club, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got a record at the moment that I wrote with Ella Air last year and, um, yeah, we were going to put it out as like a Nathan C thing and then a lock was interested in it. Uh, he did a version of it and it was like, oh, it's going to be this a lock single. And then, 
actually no we'd sent it to oliver heldens before who'd wanted to do a version of it and take it for his thing and then he went quiet a lock then came on board did a version himself and then oliver heldens like appeared out of the woodwork a couple of months ago he's like oh i've done this version now it's like oh okay i didn't even know you were still interested in the record and now it's going to be the next oliver heldens single apparently i've been told so um (laughs) (laughs) he's mad congratulations mate (laughs) (laughs) Um, wicked man well look I know there's like absolutely loads more that we could talk about but I'm also aware that you know I've taken up a lot of your time already um, so I'm going to I'm going to wrap this one up and maybe in another in a year or so we might come back and have an, another chat but um, the way I'm going to start wrapping it up is oh, first of all if people want to find out more about you more about Joy Club more about what's the other alias that you had that you stuck out something recently on was it Tool Room uh, yeah, I've got another thing called Casio, which um, is an artist project uh, that, again, I do with James. And okay. that's just more like disco house kind of influence stuff. Um, I've got yeah, another if people project. want to find out about anything and everything, just use this to plug any links or any follow, you know, any handles. Where can people find yeah, out more yeah. about you and no, your music? Uh, just, just hit me up on Instagram at Nathan C. DJ. Um, I've got links to all my other projects on there. Um, Joy Club, Casio. I've got this other thing called Akira as well. Um, yeah, so I just post everything kind of like on there, really. So. Nice one. Right, so we're going to finish off with, um, first of all, we're going to do some quick fire questions. Um, it doesn't need to be an answer, like a one word answer, but just keep it keep it short. Um, DJ wise, you've just been booked for something. Um, you've got an email through from your agent or whatever. Who would you just see and go, oh, God, I've got to play after them. That is awful. I really don't fancy this at all. <laughs> Oh, I don't mean that in a negative sense, I guess. What I mean is, like, oh, fuck that. Fucking awesome. Like, I really am bagging it to go on. You can say no one, by the way, but it just wonder if <laughs> I just wonder if there was a name that you saw and was like, oh, you got on after them in the box or something, and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, to be honest, if I was going after anyone, no matter how big they were, I think I'd be buzzing because, like, I mean, I've pl- you know, played after a fair few DJs at, at Ministry, uh and 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 what have you i guess i guess if it was like someone like super cool i'd be like oh a bit nervous like sven vath or something <laughs> cool um first club so i'm i'm talking about probably when you're 18 or if you're not 18 you know you, you've got fake id or whatever but what's the first night club that you can remember going to um can you remember the name Probably water splash in Jersey, that Goldie gig that I mentioned. Yeah, nice um, track that influenced you the most. I mean, I guess this can be either as a child or it can be when you do ministry. It can be that moment with Guetta, but like just a track that has really influenced you as a DJ or producer. Ah, oh, put me on the spot now. Yeah, probably that. I mean, there's loads more, but definitely that Guetta track, just a little more love, was just like the funky house kind of vibe to it. Was was like yeah really set me off on a path cool favorite club you've ever played <sighs> it's got to be it's got to be ministry really that sound system just unbelievable yeah nice one dj that you'd most like to warm up for so almost like the opposite of the first question you get that you get that ministry get booking through or anywhere in the world but you get that email through and you're like oh that's amazing like i can't wait to play i know that i'm going to get to play like exactly what i want and then this guy or girl's going to come on after me and i'm just going to be like so happy to watch them and have a great night oh so, i don't know someone like axwell or eric prids yeah right, cool on. Uh, um, sick, yeah. if let's just say i mean we'll, we'll do it for ministry actually 
let's just say you um and this works well for you let's just say you were you were playing you were closing the box or the bar whichever vibe you want but you were closing the box or the bar on that last friday or saturday night before boris closed us all down um and you knew you were going to play the last record not in ministry ever but you were certainly going to play the last record you know for a good long time in ministry what record do you think you would play cool don't know I, th- I guess it would have to be something with a bit of emotion, maybe. Um, maybe something like Kings of Tomorrow, finally, or like, um, yeah. That'll do for something me, like one that. of my favourite yeah. records ever. Right, we're going to do, very quickly, a dream gig. So again, it's just like, it's in the moment, it's right now, it could have been different yesterday and different tomorrow, but as we sit here now having this chat, I want a venue. So it can be ministry, it can be somewhere you know that you've played, it can be somewhere generic, like a basement club or a huge festival. So I want a venue that this gig's going to take place. We're going to have three acts. It's not so much a warm-up and middle and a headline, it's sort of three co-headline you know headline artists. You can play, you can create any kind of back-to-backs, you can have live acts, you can have bands, you can have whatever you want. It is just basically a dream gig that you are curating for the purposes of my sheer entertainment, Nathan. <laughs> Oh man! So where are we um, gonna have it? Where are we gonna have the gig? Well, I can't do ministry again. I mean, obviously ministry is amazing, <laughs> but I can't just keep going back to that one. Um, maybe like, maybe more like a a beach kind of setting. Nice. Like, that would be pretty cool. Um, so who's gonna but play? Like, like a fat boy slim style one, you know? Yeah, yeah. Good? Brighton Beach. Brighton, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So um, we've got, we've got, so let, so we're doing so a like nice big, big beach. Still, still big crowd, but like yeah. beach vibes, sunset, yeah, incredible sound system. Um, who's playing? And then who's playing? Uh, God, um, Eric Prids, definitely. Nice. Um, can I play? Yeah, of course. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll put myself on the line. I'll just you, like, you, you Eric, yep, yeah, you and Eric, yeah. one, one other act. Um, who else do I like? <laughs> um, I don't know actually. Who, who else? Maybe like Mark Knight or something, something like that. Cool. I'm I'm definitely coming. Nice beach, sun out. You prids, nighty. I'm down for that. Um, mate, it's been a pleasure. I'm going to ask you to pick a record to play out the kind of the podcast so it can be one of yours it can be one of something you've worked on it can be something that you remember from childhood it can be something you just heard yesterday and made you smile but i just want you to introduce the record that's going to play us out and tell people why you've chosen it ah oh, uh can i look at my spotify of course you can man yeah what are you thinking? Are you thinking one of yours? Are you thinking something you've just listened to? I think that would be too self-indulgent to play. No, mate, that. mate, we're all about self-indulgence on this, uh, on this, <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, That's basically the only purpose of it is my self-indulgence. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I really like at the moment is that noisy Summer 91 tune. Tune, mate. Yeah, absolutely wicked. Gonna, I was, we I'm were trying to go with that. Yeah, that is absolute banger, mate. Right, well, it's been a, an absolute pleasure, Nathan. Thank you for taking the time to chat to me, man. Um, I really appreciate it. All the best for the rest of this year and all the best for next year. I hope to catch you soon. Mate, thanks so much for having me. Much, much appreciated. We'll, um, we'll do it again soon, no doubt. Felix Leiter's in the house. 
the podcast about DJs, what they do, and who they are. You're in the 